Welcome to Realm of Faith Radio with Reverend Talks and Akuna Dejuo. This month, we began a new series on the name of Jesus. You will learn how Jesus obtained his name and you will get acquainted with the power back that wonderful name of Jesus. Don't miss any episode. Remember on the cross, Jesus uttered some words that were really deep words. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, Jesus never will call God, my God, he will never refer to him that way. It was always Father. But on that cross, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, God forsook him. Why did God forsake him? God forsook him because he had been made sin, because our sin nature had been laid upon him. He partook of the fallen nature that was in fallen man. He partook of it. Now, am I saying that Jesus became a sinner? No, he didn't. But I'm saying somehow, God laid our sin nature upon the spirit of Jesus. Right now, here's Reverend Talks with today's message, How Jesus Obtained His Name, Part 2, Episode 1. So we began to look at the name of Jesus. And we're just going to continue along that lane today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that name the name that's above every name the name of jesus you said in your word that we should confess to that name we magnify that name we extol that name we give you thanks in that name thank you for giving us insight into what this name means to you to the devil and what it ought to mean to us thank you for insight into your word about the name of Jesus. We give you praise, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Well, today, I want to talk about how Jesus obtained his name. How Jesus obtained his name. Now, it's been said that people become great through three basic methods. Some are born great like a king, an emir, a czar, you know. They're just inherited by birth. They're born that way. Some others, they have greatness thrust upon them, bestowed upon them. That's a second way people get to be great. A third way people get to be great is through their achievements, through their achievements, some notable, laudable achievement of theirs. Incidentally, Jesus obtained the greatness of his name through these three different methods. And we just want to examine this from the word of God. Now, if we don't understand how he obtained his name, it will be difficult for us to understand the magnitude of the power and the authority that is vested in that name. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first six verses of that chapter, Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 1 to 6. The Bible says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, 
and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Verse 6 says, And again, when he bringeth forth the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. Now we see here that the Bible calls Jesus the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, the effulgence of the glory of God, the outshining of the Father. And we're told that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Now, verse 4 of Hebrews 1 says that Jesus has obtained a more excellent name, better than the angels, a more excellent name, that he has obtained that name. Thank God for that name, that wonderful name, that matchless name. It's a more excellent name. Now, um, but when the Bible says he inherited it, what's that talking about? What does that mean? Now, we know that when we talk about the vastness of the power that's in the name of Jesus, we need to understand that he inherited that name from his father. So the power in that name can only be compared to the power of God, the creator of all things, the one who brought forth creation, amen, by his word. That's who he inherited that name from. He inherited it from the omnipotent one, the omniscient one. So the fullness of the Godhead is actually in that name. The wealth of the eternities is in that name. The love of the heart of the Father is in that name. That name is majestic. That name is awesome. That name is mighty. He inherited it from the Father. Now, when did he inherit it exactly? We're told that, uh, verse 4 says, being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. 5 says more about this. It says, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So, it was the day that God begat him, the day that God gave birth to him that he inherited that name. Now, you say, when exactly is that? When's that talking about? Was that talking about when Jesus was born as a baby in a manger? No, it wasn't. When he was born as a baby in a manger, that wasn't when the father begat him. You see, remember in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 7, the Bible tells us, it says, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the books it is written, to do thy will, O God. A few verses before that, verse 5 says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Verse 6 says, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the books, a volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Now it says that God prepared a body for him. When Jesus was born as a baby in a manger, he just took on a physical body. Remember in John's gospel, the first chapter, from the first verse, that the Bible says in the beginning was the word. It says the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him 
and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14 now says of John 1 that the word was made flesh, took upon himself flesh, and dwelt among us. It says we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So in his incarnation, that wasn't when the Father begat him. That was when he took on a physical body and came into this world. We could say that was when Mary begat him, but not the Father. That wasn't when the Father begat him. As God, Jesus had no beginning. He has always existed from the eternal past. Praise God. The Bible says in Micah 5.2 that his goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting to everlasting. So he's always existed. And when he was born as a baby in a manger was when he took on a physical body. So when exactly did the father beget him? When exactly did that happen? Well, in Acts 13, verse 33, we see that question get answered for us. The Bible says, uh, maybe we should start from 32. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers God has fulfilled the same unto us their children in that he has raised up Jesus again as it is also written in the second psalm, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So we see when God begat him there. It says, just like it's written in the second psalm, God fulfilled the promise he gave unto the fathers. And what promise was that? The promise of Jesus making salvation available to mankind. It says, in that he raised up Jesus again, as it is also written. So the day that God begat Jesus was actually the day that God raised him from the dead. That's the day that God begat him. So the question is this, how is that the case? What's that exactly talking about? Now, remember that the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for he hath made him, God has made him, has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, Jesus wasn't merely a sin offering. Jesus was made sin. God made him to be sin. God took our sin nature and laid it on Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9, the Bible says that Jesus made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death with the rich in his death now a king james version the marginal rendering cabin reference edition for instance the marginal rendering actually says where it says he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death the marginal rendering says that word death is plural h-e-b hebrew hebrew it's plural so he actually made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his debts in his debts what does that suggest? That Jesus died more than one kind of death. If Jesus hadn't died spiritually, he couldn't have died physically. Look, it wasn't his physical death, merely his physical death that redeemed us. Couldn't have been. Because sin is more than a physical act. Sin is more than a physical thing. Sin is actually a nature. It's a consciousness. It's also expressed in actions words and inactions. So God laid our sin nature upon Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14, it says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, says he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. 
Amen. When the Bible says true death, it wasn't just talking about true physical death. See, Jesus' body was just like Adam's body was before the fall. It was a perfect human body. It was neither mortal nor immortal. Now, what does it mean for something to be mortal? It means for that thing to be death doomed. It's, it's going to die. Like now, these physical bodies of ours are mortal. Romans 8, 11 says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So these bodies of ours are mortal. Now, they will not be mortal in the grave. They are mortal now. And that's why Romans 8.11 is not talking about the rapture. Romans 8.11 is talking about something the Holy Spirit does in our bodies now, making them full of life, full of health, full of vigor, full of vitality. You see, these bodies are mortal. They are death doomed. They are going to die if Jesus starries is coming. So that's what it means to be mortal. Now, what does it mean for something to be mortal? It means that that thing is incapable of dying. Now, Jesus' body obviously wasn't immortal. He died physically. He died physically. But his body, until something happened, wasn't mortal. It was a perfect human body. What happened that made it possible for him to die physically? He died spiritually. God did that. He laid it upon his spirit. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was under such pressure that he began to sweat great drops of blood, and then he said, if it would be possible, let this cup pass over me. What cup was that? It was the cup of God's wrath. It was the fact that somebody, a member of the Godhead, was about to be separated. Now, three of them, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The second person of the Godhead was about to be separated from the other two, and he was going to come and partake of the nature that was in fallen man. That was what gave him that anguish. That was what put him under such pressure. He actually got separated from God on that cross when our sin nature was laid on him. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do that? It says, being made a curse for us. So Jesus was made a curse. He was made a curse. The curse was laid upon him. Our sin nature was laid upon him. Remember, he said something in John 3, 14. He said that as Moses lifted up the brass serpent in the wilderness, he said, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, we know that brass is a type of sin, and the serpent is a type of the devil. On that cross, Jesus partook of the nature that was in fallen man. Jesus became a subject of Satan. He became a subject of sin. That's a fact. That's what happened. Remember in Psalm 22, he said, I'm but a worm, I'm no man. You see, he was identified with the nature that was in fallen man. He was on that cross. So he, he, that was why he died and gave up the ghost physically because he had died spiritually. He was separated from the Father. And so when he died physically, where did he go? Sometimes people paint a picture that when Jesus died, he went and preached to the souls in prison. That he went to hell as the victor there. And that he just went to Abraham's bosom as well. No, the Bible doesn't paint that picture. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered up for our offenses and he was raised up for our justification. Uh, the marginal rendering of that says he was delivered up on account of our offenses and he was raised up when we were declared righteous. You see, he went there to suffer. 
He went there to bear the punishment of man's transgression, and he paid it in full. Now, remember his deity where humanity. One hour of deity suffering is worth more than an eternity of humanity suffering. And in those three days and nights, God laid our punishment, the punishment we deserve to suffer. He laid it on him. And Jesus paid that price and paid it in full. And eventually on that resurrection morn, the father looked down from the banisters of heaven. And then he said, it's enough, it's enough. He has satisfied the claims of justice. He has met the demands of the law. And then once that happened, and Jesus legally was declared righteous, he was acquitted legally, then the devil had no more right to keep him in there. And that was the moment that in his spirit, he was made alive. You know, the Bible calls him the firstborn from the dead. Yes, firstborn from physical death to die no more. But he wasn't just the firstborn from physical death. He was also, and he's also the firstborn from spiritual death. The first person to be born again. Now in Acts chapter... You've been listening to Rema Faith Radio, brought to you by the partners and friends of Rema Nigeria. We offer training in God's Word and in the things of the Spirit for victorious Christian living and success and fulfilling ministry. Go to RemaNigeria.com to find out more on how to become a student or partner of Rema Bible Training Center Nigeria. Please call 081-01-166836. The number again, 081-01-166836. Kenneth Higgins Rema Bible Training Center Nigeria is here just for you.